This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. The Red Apple Media Podcast Network presents This is Protecting America. Now, here's Emmy-winning journalist Rita Cosby. And welcome to another edition of Protecting America. I'm Rita Cosby. Big protests this week in New York City as the leader of Iran spoke at the United Nations. And this comes as the Biden administration did a very controversial and questionable deal with Iran in terms of a prisoner swap and unfreezing, get this, $6 billion to Iran. Well, joining us now to talk about all of this is Alareza Jafarzada. He is the deputy director of the National Council of Resistance of Iran, one of the heroes for freedom out there fighting, and also one of the big leaders of the protests outside of the UN. Alareza, great to have you here on the podcast. Uh, always great to be with you, Rita. Always a pleasure and very happy to join you. Talk about how, um, first off, it was so important for you and thousands of others to be there outside of the UN and sending the message. What was the message you wanted the world to hear loud and clear? Well, the message that uh, several thousand Iran and Americans uh, sent this week by gathering in front of the United Nations, just right across, uh, filling almost the entire Doc Hammarskjöld Plaza, uh, which is a big park in front of the UN, was to tell the United Nations and all of the member states of the UN that the Iran regime's president, Ebrahim Raisi, does not belong to the UN. Uh, it contradicts the all of the charters, all of the things that they have ratified. Uh, instead, he should be before UN panels, before international criminal courts, uh, to be held accountable, to be tried for crimes against humanity and genocide, because it's not that he just represents a bad regime, a repressive regime. In addition to all of that, he personally has been involved in murder and killing in big, big, uh, big scale. In 1988, Ibrahim Raisi uh, sat on a four-member panel called, known as the Death Commission uh, that was uh, tasked by then Supreme Leader Ruhollah Khomeini, who preceded Ali Khamenei. And based on a fatwa, which is a religious decree issued by Supreme Leader Khomeini, that anyone who is in any way associated with the main Iranian opposition group known as the MEK, which basically spells freedom, um, they need to be killed. And so they assigned this panel to interview every single political prisoner in the entire country of Iran and determine, you know, if they are loyal to, to, the, to that movement, to the movement for freedom or not. If they were, they would send them into a hallway that at the end of the hall, 
uh, there were gallows and hanging them. In a matter of a few weeks in summer of 1988, as many as 30,000 political prisoners were murdered. Of course, at the time, it was all secret. And later on, the information is spilled and all the details came out. And it's, it's now totally undisputed. Uh, there were a lot of investigation done by various human rights bodies, including the United Nations. And Raisi was part of it. Um, he played a key role in, the, in killing people. And now you have him at the United Nations. So the protesters this week wanted to make sure that the world knows it and hears it, that this it's, it's really a shame to allow Ibrahim uh, Raisi to speak there, use that forum. But also it's very counterproductive because Iran is not recognized by its repressive rulers. It must be recognized by its people and its organized resistance, those who are trying to establish freedom and democracy in Iran. And they've been fighting for over 40 years for it. So that was the message that I think um, it, was, it was clearly received. What they do with it is a different thing. But, you know, the media was out there and, uh, you know, the uh, very um, uh, uh, loud and clear message that was sent to that building uh, there. And we have to see how the Biden administration, how other world leaders uh, later this week would uh, would react to to that kind of a reaction by the Iranians who have been affected by this. Alariza, what did you make of this deal so many people have been critical of it. It was a prisoner swap, as you know, five Americans for five Iranians. And obviously, we're happy that the Americans came home. We're, that's obviously so important and was so emotional to see that. But do we send a bad message, especially on the part that we gave them $6 billion of uh, that assets are now being unfrozen, that even though they say, yeah, it's for humanitarian reasons, that's what the U.S. government's saying. How do we know that? Well, first of all, as you said, uh, Rita, I mean, you know, those prisoners should have never been um, held as prisoner to begin with. They shouldn't have been taken hostage to begin with, uh, but they should have been released long ago if a firm policy was pursued. And the reason I insist on it is that, you know, this is not the first time that you hear the Iran regime is holding hostage and then getting into negotiations in releasing them. Uh, so they have a history of nearly four decades of hostage taking, dating back to the 1980s. Uh, you know, remember in, in Lebanon, they were, you know, the Terry Anderson and and all of the, you know, the ordeal that a lot of Americans and Europeans uh, went through. Uh, they were all captives of the Iranian regime uh, or their proxies. And at the end of the day, they would get some kind of concession, whether it's money or other things that they want, and then release, uh, you know, two or three hostages and then take another five or six. That has become a trend. So it's very clear that when you get into a swap, you know, a sort of like a hostage diplomacy, and, and you pay ransom to release uh, some of those hostages, you're setting up yourself for more Americans, more Europeans to be taken hostage. Uh, so it's good to have hostages released, but it's terrible to have more hostages taken. And it's even worse that, um, you know, making hostage taking and terrorism uh, a very profitable business 
for the Ayatollahs in Tehran. You know, the cornerstone of their foreign policy is on, built on terrorism. That's how they have been dealing with the rest of the world for the past 40 years. So you have to turn that around. You have to overturn that, not to, to further solidify uh, that policy of hostage taking. That's one thing. Second, you know, that $6 billion that has been sent to the Iranian regime, first of all, it's the money belonging to the people of Iran, not the Iranian regime. When you give that money to the Ayatollahs, they further use it for terrorism, but also suppressing their own population. This whole um, notion that this is for humanitarian purposes is absolutely ridiculous because money is fungible. Anywhere else it's like that, but particularly when it comes to the Iranian regime. They have said it before, um, even in regard to this $6 billion, Raisi has been on the record saying, we will use this money any way we want. This is our money, we'll, we'll use it any way we want. Uh, so it makes no sense to say that this is for humanitarian purposes. Uh, even if it was used for that, then you know the money that was for humanitarian purposes, that would be released and made available to, uh, you know, to pay for the IRGC, the Revolutionary Guards, who are suppressing people or funding um, their proxies outside of Iran. You know, we just put out a report last week um, uh, saying that the uh, showing with documentations and evidence that during the uprising in Iran in the past one year, uh, the Iranian regime has had allocated an additional. Uh, $700 million to the Iranian Revolutionary Guards and other suppressive agencies uh, to kill people, to quash the protesters. This is in addition to about $50 billion that Iran has given, uh, spent in, in Syria to keep the dictator Assad in power, you know, funding the proxies that Iran has there. So, you know, that's why providing $6 billion to the regime is absolutely unacceptable because certainly that will be used for, um, you know, funding terror and, and killing uh, people inside the country. Now, what do you do with this? What do you do with the Iranian regime? Uh, you know, you have to pursue a totally different policy that was pursued in the past. That policy has to be centered around building pressure on the Iranian regime, holding them accountable for their hostage taking, not rewarding them, and making them pay for their terrorism. So this way, the Iranian people who have already risen up, who have already been involved in trying to bring about change in Iran, they would have more space. They would have more ability uh, to expand their activities, their operations, and eventually overthrow this regime. Um, that's the real solution. Now, of course, when I say overthrow, I'm, we're not asking the United States or Europe or anybody else to overthrow the regime for the people of Iran. It's, it's the job and the responsibility of the people of Iran, but the outside world can help by not helping the regime, by not empowering the regime, by not funding the Iranian regime. That's the ask. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. 
Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Hi, it's Lou Dobbs for Priority Gold, America's precious metals dealer. These are volatile times with high inflation, soaring debt, wars on multiple continents, and rising financial stress. Central banks are buying gold to diversify their reserves, so are many Americans. Call Priority Gold and find out how precious metals can help you diversify your portfolio. They're highly rated and happy to help. Call 1-866-303-6357 or get a free gold guide at PriorityGoldGuide.com. That's Priority PriorityGoldGuide.com. Do you believe, as we saw uh, the protests that took place, as you talked about, I know this was the anniversary not that long ago, that there is tremendous will within Iran and that there is an ability, if indeed, like you said, that the U.S. and others uh, don't help Iran, uh, don't fund them, don't uh, even unfreeze, even if they claim it's for humanitarian reasons. Um, do you believe that there is enough of a resistance internally? Absolutely. You know, uh, the resistance in Iran is, is very, very powerful. I mean, of course, Iran is a big country, it's 85 million population. You know, it, it's huge in terms of size and, you know, strategic resources and, and all of that. It's not comparable to any other, you know, smaller countries in the region. Uh, but and it has a very repressive regime with all kinds of, you know, repressive agencies from revolution guards and prestige and and all of those things. But yet at the same time, the biggest asset um, regarding Iran is its own population, the educated, the young people. Um, and 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 on top of that is the organized resistance, because it's definitely necessary to have a uh, uh, a, a, you know, a, a defiant population to overthrow a repressive system. Uh, but it's even more important than that to have an organized opposition. You know, when we talk about organized opposition, there is a history uh, behind um, what you see in Iran. Uh, you know, the National Council of Resistance of Iran, which is a parliament in exile, um, has been in existence since 1981. They have paid a high price um, you know, they have been uh, over 100,000 members and their supporters have been killed by the Iran regime. These are intellectuals who were handpicked one by one by the Iran regime and got killed. Just in summer of 1988, 30,000 of them were massacred. But because of, they have a very clear agenda, they have, they're very committed, they have a clear leadership. And they've been very effective. You know, all of the major nuclear sites of Iran were exposed by this movement. Uh, the, the terror network, the terror operation of the regime was exposed by this movement. Uh, they're playing a key role in, um, in leading and continuing the protests inside the country. They are the main preoccupation in the minds of the Ayatollahs. They're, they're threatened by this movement. That's why they're, they're plotting against them. You know, just... Uh, in 2018, just given one example, uh, this this movement uh, every year they has a they have a big uh, annual rally that about 100,000 people gather in a huge place uh, near Paris, and um, they were doing it every year, very successful. In 2018, the Iran regime plotted to bomb that place, and one of their own diplomats that was based in Vienna brought a bomb from Iran, a sophisticated one. Uh, brought a bomb from Iran on commercial airplane um, covered in the diplomatic pouch 
uh, gave it to two culprits uh, in in Luxembourg to drive that bomb to Paris to detonate it. Uh, but just hours before they were successful in doing it, all of them were arrested: the diplomat, the other culprits, the you know the the collaborators. And then there was a trial um, uh, in Belgium that went for about a year. And that guy, the, the so-called diplomat, Astola Asadi, was uh, convicted of terrorism, sentenced to 20 years uh, imprisonment, and all the other culprits were also imprisoned. Now, that tells you if you have a, you know, a diplomat himself carrying the bomb, that how important it is for the regime, they, 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 they were almost confident that they're, they're going to be successful. Of course, they, you know, they weren't. But it just shows you how far the regime would go, what kind of risk they take in order to deliver a blow to this, uh, to this movement. Uh, they have done so many other terror plots um, in different places because they are threatened by this movement. They know, you know this movement has what they call resistance units inside the country. These are young people, mostly who are very, very smart, very savvy, and they're taking the risk. And, you know, they're the ones who are in the forefront of these protests. And, uh, and that's why we feel, you know, if the outside world would do its own part, which is don't give money and resources to the regime, the, this regime can uh, easily fall um, uh, under the weight of the discontent of the population, but also the force and the power of the organized opposition if the assistance by the outside world is cut off to this regime. That would make a huge difference. Remember in South Africa, the world got united um, in, in putting sanctions and, and really squeezing the apartheid regime. And then eventually you saw what happened there. That kind of a pressure we have never seen in the past 40 years against the Iranian regime. And this regime is far, far worse in every aspect you want to think about than the apartheid regime in, the, in South Africa. Uh, and, and, and the reason that the outside world is not doing it, because they're afraid. They're afraid of terrorism of the Iran regime. They're afraid that their, their people are going to be taken hostage. So long as that fear exists among the outside world, nothing is going to change. And that's why we're trying the outside world to say, look, you, know, you have a lot more power than the Ayatollahs. You have the defiant people of Iran on your side. Uh, so just do the right thing and just, just don't repeat the, all the, the failed policies of the past. How dangerous is the Iranian regime for America and for the world? They're the world's leading state sponsor of terrorism, period. They are the epicenter of terror, period. They have, um, they are like, you know, the nucleus of the, this Islamic fundamentalist ideology that has, you know, been imposed on the region since the Supreme Leader Khomeini took power, actually stole the leadership of a genuine revolution in 1979 and imposed that ideology there. And therefore, certainly they are the most dangerous. They are the, the biggest threat to the, to the whole world. Um, but at the same time, they're most vulnerable. Uh, they have their own Achilles heel. You have to understand that the Achilles heel of the Iran regime, it's, it's in internal situation. It's the defined population, it's the organized resistance. Um, and what the regime is trying to do, they want to hide this Achilles heel. They want to you know, project power as though they're like, you know, 
They're invincible. They're not. Um, and, and, and that's why we have to understand that at the same time that they're dangerous, but at the same time, they're extremely vulnerable. All we need to do is just, you know, to show to the world, here's the Achilles heel. This is where you want to strike. And that's where you want to invest. You want to invest in the people of Iran, in the organized opposition, not invest in the regime itself. I want to ask you about uh, the women very quickly, uh, because they've been extraordinarily heroic. Of course, uh, that was much of the focus of the uprising. Absolutely. You know, women um, have played a a significant role in the history of um, the, the past 40 years of resistance against the regime. You cannot talk about Iranian resistance. You cannot talk about Iranian opposition. You cannot talk about a bright future without talking about the role of women uh, in Iran. Um, And when we talk about the role of women, it's not limited to certain issues like, you know, the mandatory hijab or that kind of stuff, kind of pressure that the regime is imposing. It's far, far deeper than that. It's about it's about leadership. It's about political leadership. Um, And that's what the regime wants to suppress. And that's what the regime wants you not to look at. Um, they want to just limit it as though, like, you know, whether should or should not have their, their own, uh, you know, hairs covered and all of that. You know, in, um, in our movement, um, uh, the women play um, a leading role. Uh, you know, the, the main organization within the parliament in exile is called the MEK. That's the group that has uh, a lot of strength inside Iran, but also outside of Iran. And they're the ones who gained all access to the information on the nuclear issue and all of that. Within that movement, uh, women have been in the leadership of that organization since uh, 39 years ago. And um, and consistently, all of their secretaries general are are women. It didn't happen by accident, um, but it it just emerged as the um, necessity of their fight against Islamic fundamentalism. You know, the core of the ideology of Islamic fundamentalism is misogyny. Right at the core of it, the worst element in that ideology is their hatred against women and the misogyny. So if you want to counter that ideology, you have to do exactly the opposite. So that's why this, you know, tremendously powerful force of women was actually discovered within our movement as a result of when you, when you get engaged in your fight, you just you discover things. Uh, you know, when only you don't not by reading books, but by engaging in that fight against the regime, and that's how women, um, you know, found their own role um, within the movement um, and expanded that. They created a culture of defiance and. Uh, against the regime. So uh, that culture that was developed over the years is what you see now in the streets of Iran. You know, the the 18 years old, the 16 year old girls who were not even born in 1988, when those women said no to the Ayatollahs and were sent before the gallows, um, they, they picked up that that culture from the previous generations. And, and that's why, um, you know, we have a specific plan in our movement on the issue of women, uh, detailing every single aspect of that, um, that is all based on choice. 
uh, not dominance of men over women. You know, that's the way the ideology of the Ayatollahs uh, are. Uh, but most important, all of them, than all of them, is their role in the leadership. Unless you have the society uh, which has the proper place for the leadership of women, especially a Muslim society like uh, Iran, nothing is going to change. And, and thank God, and I think one of the reasons I'm extremely hopeful that change will come is because the role that women are playing in, in this movement. And I hope everyone will pay attention to this one. It's not an accident that you saw the women taking the leadership in the streets and, you know, protesting against the Ayatollahs and everything. There is a history behind it. And you will see, um, you know, our leader, Mrs. Rajivy, she had a speech uh, 27 years ago in London, and she warned the, the mullahs. She told them, you know, you don't even consider women as second-class citizens. You don't, you don't even see them. Um, but I can, I promise you right here that the, the rule of the Ayatollahs will be swept away from the history of Iran by women, led by women. And at that time, no one could see what actually happened is happening now in the streets of Iran. But, but she had that vision. She saw it. And uh, I can promise you that day will come and it will come very soon. <laughs> Well, that's great to hear. And uh, everyone, by the way, be sure to subscribe and share to this such a powerful podcast. What a great discussion. Alareza, it was really terrific to have you on. And boy, I applaud your fight for freedom in Iran and around the world. Um, and great to hear so many courageous people speaking out um, about freedom within your country. It really is tremendous and deeply inspiring. Alareza, great to have you here. Thank you so much, Rita, for uh, providing this opportunity. I really uh, cherish the work you're doing, um, how you're you know, informing the American public about very, very important issues and providing the opportunity for me to speak. And I'm always very delighted to be on your show and very much welcome it. Thank you so much. And everybody, I'll be back soon with another great edition of Protecting America. And of course, you can catch me every weeknight, 10 p.m. to midnight, on the legendary WABC Radio. This is Rita Cosby, and thanks for all you do to protect America. mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.